Hello, and welcome to Generation AI, the podcast where we demystify artificial intelligence in the world of higher education. I'm your host, Artis Kadu, joined by my co-host, JC Bonilla. Hey, JC, how's it going today? Hello, everybody. Hello, Artis. Things are going well. I'm so excited. Today's episode is going to be fun. I get the opportunity to basically be educated on one of the things that you've been following, which I am not really an expert on, this idea of search and how search engine optimization SEO is changing. So I'm excited about this lecture, if you will, and what you're going to come and teach us out. So let's go. So today we're going to be diving into a topic that has a lot of effects on us marketers and, and users of Google in general. So we'll be talking about Google Search Generative Experience, or SGE. SGE. I did not know what SGE was. Was that like an appliances type of thing? And everybody, SGE is the stand that is going to change. Here's a you know, big statement. It's going to change and revolutionize marketing experience, business models. We're going to talk about that significantly. And organizations like mine, where we spend so much time advising brands, how do you basically bring your money and funnel strategies? Is brand awareness and whatnot? And how to use basically money to guide that? At the end of the day, search is such a big component. So this has changed as we speak. And then today we're going to be demystifying that. Correct. Yeah. So with the introduction of ChatGPT, the way that we ask questions is evolving. And our search experience is also adopting to incorporate this generative AI. So Google is getting ahead of that. And that's where we're, they're introducing what they're calling Google search generative experience or search generative experience. And this is an innovative approach to kind of search results, which are powered by generative AI. And they are representing those results right within your search queries as the first results that you're seeing in there. So it has tremendous impact on SEO strategies. In 2022, SEO is a $68 billion market. It's huge. And we, as marketers, rely on SEO tremendously to drive traffic and to drive revenue. And Google is the top dog when we think about traffic and organic traffic or even paid traffic and how does that work. So a lot of this work affects us indirectly because that traffic is going to be affected by these changes in Google. So let's, uh, JC, let's give everybody a little bit of a context on what does it mean? You know, Google has evolved their algorithms. They have evolved how they're prioritizing content, how they're doing organic content and certain paid content and how the listings are working. So this whack-a-mole on SEO, huge, huge market, like we talked about, 68 billion in 2022, projected to grow about 25% year over year over the next few years. With generative AI, it's going to get disrupted a little bit. But let's understand how, you know, Google and how do we do our searches? Like, how does that work? Let's talk about this difference between keyword search and a semantic search. Can I start with just a framework so you can break it up and go deeper? Because as we introduce a new term, right, generative SGI, right, we need to start remembering that search engine optimization, SEO, it's very, very simple. Think about the following, a keyword and placement in a monetization engine, right? The word that I'm looking for, right? What is SEO, right? So if I'm doing that type of search, that's a query. Monetization, this idea that the word SEO has a price. The word what has a price. So when you're schooling, you're basically bidding for a word called MBA. Guess what? You pay more than for the word information session. <laughs> Probably, right? 
So this is the idea that the words have some type of monetization, some type of order. And then on my right-hand side, sometimes they're visualized, right? This is what we, we call an organic search or paid search and the placement. So start thinking about a shift from this world that we know today that brings in billions of dollars, as artists just said, but it's very simple. It's keywords, monetization around them, and in a way, placement without getting into the UX part, right? Well, you have kind of minimized Google's kind of backend. So as I said, it's a simple framework. <laughs> <laughs> it looks very simple in the surface as you look at it. But there's two components what JC is talking about. One of them is organic search. So Google is listing your content based on the relevancy to that particular query that you entered. And then there is the paid component, which is you're bidding for certain keywords and you're bidding against other folks as well. And Google is listing your ads and your links based on those bids that you provide. So that's the monetization there. So there's two areas where Google is listing content. There is the organic section and then there is the paid section, which is usually at the top. And what we're talking about is how does that query that you're entering how does that translate into finding information? The most easy way to think about it is that we query things via keywords. So we type in higher education, we can type in MBA program, or we can type in data analytics program. So those are the keywords that we're typing into Google and we are programmed and we learned over the last decade or so to be really, really good at these keywords. There's folks who are very good at it. However, that is keyword search. So it breaks down the keywords and it's matching the content on those pages, on those sites that have most of those keywords that you're entering in. However, the search has evolved since then. Rather than just looking at the keywords, we have evolved to what we call semantic search. For example, if we want to take the meaning of who is Taylor Swift's boyfriend, you know, that has a different meaning, right? So it, there's no keywords in there that's used as Kelsey or something else. We can now identify the meaning of that and we are able to produce the same content. And that's called semantic search. When we look at the meaning of words and the meaning of sentences, and we are looking at them in a vector space, we're looking at them mathematically, we codify those words and those sentences into what we call numbers and vectors. And then we take the distances between those and we say, okay, this is what this word and this sentence means. And this is what another one means. So we're going to find the ones that are closest to each other. And then we're going to rank it that way. Rather than keywords, we're looking at meanings. And this is the foundation for all of the generative AI numbers and, and searches and chatbots. Everything that we're doing in generative AI is all about vectors and the distances between words. Large language models are all about these. So that work has started with Google in the past. However, what we're talking about today is how does Google now use generative AI to give you a different experience rather than listing blue links all the way down? How can they give you a different experience? And that's where Google generative search comes in. It's essentially a set of search and interface capabilities that integrate this generative AI powered results into the Google search engine, right? So SGE uses generative AI to provide more comprehensive and informative answers to search queries. 
So for example, if you search for how to make paper airplanes, SG will not only provide you with a list of links, but it also generate a step-by-step -step guide with images and videos. So it's not just doing text, it's also doing images, it's also doing video because we're talking about multimodal here in the past as well. So very transformative, right? Now we go from this idea of looking at ChatGPT for our answers, but that's not up to date. There's hallucinations there. Google is getting into the same game because they don't want to cannibalize their main revenue driver. However, they understand that people have changing their behavior to do that. JC? So let me just take a few minutes to give the example for those of you who got lost at the word vectorization, because this is really, really important. So the answer is Travis Kelsey. And what happens is probably the first page that is the highest rank on Travis Kelsey is going to be the answer, right? What was the query? Who is Taylor Swift's boyfriend, right? Travis Kelsey. And then what is the first order on that site? Is maybe the one that pays the most on the right-hand side or at the bottom, maybe his personal website. In the aspect of what is semantic search or the word, and I also want to introduce like the idea of synonyms. Who is the boyfriend, right? Who is her, I don't know, BFF? Who is her special one? That's not semantic search. I just want to be very clear that when you play with words, that's not really semantic search. Today in the world of SEO, you get a lot of price and arbitrage because sometimes the word boyfriend is really expensive. But what if you say special one, right? Those two words make you to the same place and you have different price and arbitrage. The whole thing of vectorization and what artists spoke about, what's called similarity matching in NLP, is that I can come and have the same result, answer is Travis Kelsey, but the way I approach it is that, who is this blonde artist who comes from Nashville and she's just into this guy, right? So what has happened there is that I just basically had the same structure. I wanna know who is the boyfriend of the artist Taylor Swift and I just went around it in a totally different place. And semantic search, the ability to come and decompose the words and say that's how this person will approach it and say these bag of words on a structure sense means the same thing as who is Taylor Swift's boyfriend. That's in a way demystifying what semantic search is all about. The prediction that this means the same and the word usage, the structure, the length of the query dramatically has changed. Yeah, exactly. One of the examples that gets used quite a bit in semantic search is that words have meaning and you can do mathematical components in it. So if you encode the word king in semantic search and you do king minus male equals what? What's the equivalent of that? So it's queen, right? So you can encode these words in semantic meaning and you can do mathematical expressions around that. I love that example. What if you were to do king minus gender Literally, I'm saying that in a DEI inclusive environment, right? And I don't know what the answer may be, royalty and things like that, but that's what you have now that also within semantic search, the construct of DEI, it's passed down and is able to do the computation, if you will. Right, exactly. So it's all about computation. So we come to words and we transform words, images, video, text, language, all into mathematical examples. As we look at this, right, if we're dependent so much on SEO today and if we're depending on Google basically to drive traffic to our websites, I want to talk about institutions and, and how this knowledge discovery has evolved because we're in the cusp of a new knowledge discovery evolution, a new change in how we're interacting and how we're discovering and how we're finding knowledge. AKA websites. <laughs> 
<laughs> AKA websites. Exactly. That is our front door to the world. That is how the world understands and knows our brands. That's how the world understands and knows who we are. Our websites for higher education, it is the number one place that students go to do the research for their schools. They're identified a school, now they want to go and do the research. The website is still the number one destination that they go to. So those websites are super important to the student, even though we might believe that aggregation sites are important, the main school's website is still number one on the student's list. And Ardis, before you unpack that, the reason why we're going to continue using the word knowledge discovery, aka the website, everybody remember this, that when you start thinking about customer journeys, your student journey, whoever your consumer is, right, they're going to land somewhere, right? And that artifact usually looks like a website. But the nuance of what do I bring forward, right? The pass down of, you know, how they found me into that landing page and the landing page needs to carry 55 content pieces, pillars, events, and then also like the tension between the department and whatnot. So knowledge discovery is the orchestration of information and how the user in that journey is going to come and interact with it. And I think you're going to give us a rundown of how it has been done. You probably have built, I don't know, 155 websites, massive projects in your awesome career. So we've gone through these three different transformations on knowledge discovery, these three different waves. The first one is around information architecture, which is really important to find content. So how menus are organized, how content was organized. If you remember, JC, we, you and I sat on numerous... You sat or we fought? <laughs> we did fight a lot around the link to my page of graduate admissions or undergraduate or my program should be on the homepage. It should be at the top or the bottom or the footer. So the fight for having a link on the homepage was something that we did a lot when we were building websites and information architecture was one of the main ways on how you found information. Search was not very good, so you needed to organize that information in a way. So if it didn't exist, if it wasn't part of the homepage, if it wasn't in that front page or above the fold, so to speak, you were not finding it. We fought a lot around how do we make this more user-centric because they don't care how you're organized internally. They need to look at information. And we moved on to then Google becoming a very key component of how people found information. So now SEO became really important. Google came on board and said, you know what? We don't care about your organization of your website. We care about the content that's in there. And we want to list all of those links in the same way. So search became a key component of how we found information. Discovery got started in Google, and now they went directly to your page if you had relevant content for a question, or they went directly to maybe a subpage. So you now needed to have search engine optimized content in order to answer the keywords that the student was looking for, or the constituent, or that visitor. So the experience changed now, rather than being internally focused, it was more customer-centric. So the customer was driving what they were looking for. So that's where we go into SEO. SEO blew up because we now needed to meet the demand of the keywords that the market was telling us that, hey, this keyword has a lot of search volume and search query. So we need to tie in our content to connect with that particular keyword because that's how our pages are going to rank higher. And that's how we're going to show up in Google so people can find us and can find our content. So that's the whole game. Hey everyone, Artis here, founder and CEO of Element 451. 
I'm thrilled to invite you to the Engage Summit in Raleigh, June 25th and 26th. It's our annual gathering where AI and higher education come together in exciting ways. A lot of the sessions will focus on cutting-edge AI that are reshaping student experience, they're enhancing staff productivity, and offering deep insights into your data. Imagine two days filled with hands-on sessions, real success stories, and the chance to network with top minds in the field. You live with practical, transformative takeaways as you learn how AI can foster a more personalized, efficient approach from recruiting to student success and even to alumni engagement. Oh, and the best part? Engage Summit is incredibly affordable. Try discount code Enrollify50, that's Enrollify50, and you can register for just $99. So join me and many of my fellow Enrollify network creators at Engage Summit this coming June. Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. We can't wait to see you there. So let me play it back. So my output at phase one, it's literally the information architecture, right? And then that's where probably in universities, academics, right. admissions, I don't know, student affairs emerge. And for whatever reason, because I am student clubs and I'm the canoe club, I am five links down, right? On the second evolution, now I know that the student actually does a search, organic search that is called, where is the canoeing club, right? And then the word club, it's so interesting. So now we, we're basically able to come and showcase clubs differently, or at least know that it should move up somehow or deserves different real state in our architecture because I now know that club is more interesting. Canoeing, maybe not, but clubs are interesting. Is that right? What I'm saying is that it doesn't matter. When Google was introduced and search was becoming key, architecture didn't matter anymore yeah. because it was all about the content within those pages. It was all about the keywords and it was the user who was searching on Google that was the driver for what they were looking for. So now the experience returned to the user. So you had to match your content to what the user was asking or what the keywords were. Otherwise, you wouldn't show up at all. So the onus now is on you to provide relevant content that is going to be useful. And if nobody is going to search for canoeing, then, you know, it's never going to show up. So it's essentially a democratization of your information architecture, your information discovery. So it's now in the hands of the user. Now, what's ended up happening over the past year with the introduction of ChatGPT is that rather than keywords, now we can ask full sentences and full questions, and the large language models have an immense data that can provide us answers. Those answers are not always the right answers, and we are not going to discuss that right now, the hallucinations or the knowledge basis of these models. However, we assume they're good outputs. <laughs> correct. However, we can ask questions very similar to how we ask questions to a person or to an expert, and we can get very condensed and very cohesive answers that answer exactly what we want. Rather than searching for a canoe club, we can ask something very specific about it. Does school X have a canoe club and when do they meet? So now you can get a response back to say, okay, yes, they do have one and they meet during this times and here's some of the members. So essentially it's putting together a whole answer for you without you needing to go to the source material and the source content itself. So generative AI and this conversational interfaces are now going to be the future of how we interact and how we find knowledge. 
we're expecting our answers to be baked into the result that we're getting, right? Rather than a set of 10 blue links that we get. And this changes a lot of things, right? It changes because conceptually, we are not using keywords anymore. We can have better conversations. We are going with the meaning of sentences of what we mean. So the future is going to be conversational. The future is going to be through generative AI. And that's what Google is doing. One key statistic, and this is interesting, Algolia is a search engine provider that plugs into a lot of websites or does search engine for commerce websites that they have baked in searches. What they saw this past year with the introduction of ChatGPT, the average length of queries used on sites has doubled. So what, is, what does that mean? First of all, everybody, I hope you're enjoying this seminar on the evolution of search, information architecture. <laughs> and, and artists, as I'm you, getting into my teaching mode, so. <laughs> you no, know, this is fantastic. And as one of the things that I want to rescue was the emergence of the SEO consultant. And many of us relied on that because as artists would say, like, well, it's not that. And it's not, not only the title page and all, all those things were at play. Fast forward to today, I'm going to oversimplify all the amazing things you just said with two things. Now, I as a leader, and I know that I'm going to be mining data, I'm going to say, we need to start preparing for what I would call the query rant, right? Before it was very prescriptive, keywords, where's the canoeing trip, right? And when do they meet? I think that's very specific, but because it's conversational, humanistic speaking, I rant. I have an inability to ask a good question. I just rant, and now I'm going to get there. So now, technology speaking, in a way, it's designed for that. Just give it to me. But you're also saying that with AI-driven search, it allows a really human style in how I ask things, aka the rent, and the interactability from the search engine to come and say, is this what you meant? And then goes deeper accordingly, right? Without getting into the output, right? Am I getting this right? Exactly. Good job, Professor Kadui. I'm following. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad because I need somebody to bounce this off of as we explain and some of our audience might have some questions as well. You're absolutely right. So now we have a conversation rather than having a way to ask the question once or put some of those keywords, get some results. We tweak them, we get different results. We can now have a conversation to say, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Can you repeat it? And the context is in there. One of our favorite tools that we like to use in this show, perplexity.ai, does exactly that, right? It's a combination of Google and ChatGPT, which gives you references to things, but it produces a cohesive answer to you with references to different things, and you can continue the conversation to refine that further. And that's exactly what Google is trying to do, is they want you to go to google.com because that's where they make their money. They want to show advertising and and rather than losing their market share to the chatbots or ChatGPT or Perplexity or some of the other, they're saying, we know that people are going to want to get these answers fully formed in a generative search experience, and that's what they're building. However, we now can control some of the area around it. This has been in effect for the past couple of months. And in December 2023, Authoritas, they ran 1,000 commercial terms through SGE-enabled Google accounts. And what they found was really interesting. About 86% of the queries 
had a search generative experience component to those keywords. It's already here. That's what we, you know, that's where at the outset. It's already here. It's already here. Two thirds of the searches, right? Already implemented this. More than two thirds of the searches. Gigantic. Gigantic. Correct. And this is getting rolled out faster and faster as we're, you know, entering the year. But don't be surprised that you're going to be seeing this a lot more in your own search experiences, especially on mobile as well. Can we assume you think that Microsoft Bing was already here as well? I mean, I don't know if they rank number two in terms of search. They have a tiny, tiny percentage of market share. So everybody optimizes for Google, not so much for Bing or any of the other ones. So we're all at the mercy of Google when it comes to driving traffic to our websites at this point. So 86% is already receiving generative AI search results. When you click on the SGE button, show more link, the number one organic listing shifts down by about one fifth of the page height that you're seeing on your browser. So essentially goes out of view. In other words, who cares? Who cares? It just completely disappears, right? Which is incredible because the impact to click-through rates and organic traffic are going to get devastated by this. Like I'm getting my answer and I'm getting, you know, all of the relevant information that I need as part of the experience that Google is introducing and the organic results are getting put down. Of course, now the incentivization is that Google is keeping the paid ads visible. However, the organic content is suffering because of this. So just to demystify what is happening here, go to Google in your head, search for whatever. Left-hand side results, the links, it's organic results. Right-hand side tab, paid. Right-hand side represents, I think, about 58% of Google's revenues. And the left-hand side is how all of us, in a way, feed the monster, right? Because we want to be picked as number one and number two, and it's a gigantic ecosystem of work. So the implications of generative AI to organic, they're gigantic uh, artists. So what it starts to mean is, I think, and give color, is that I have to change my game, right? So just basically a mind-blown aspect of how we start thinking about information architecture to bring it back to how you started this combo, right? Yeah, the information discovery. So we want to end this episode, obviously, by having some practical takeaways on what you can do. If you're writing content right now, if you're doing SEO, Google said that they do not penalize AI generated content. However, they do penalize bad content. So basically what this means is that don't focus a lot on keyword density, but focus on intent and context. So this is what we talked about around semantic search rather than keyword search. So this idea that I'm looking for the meaning of what I'm asking for, what this means is that SEO strategies will need to be more nuanced and sophisticated to focus on you know, the meaning of how people are asking specific questions or what the content is. So the intent of that person and the context that they're in. So that's how we're going to need to start thinking and building that content. So now rather than building landing pages with a lot of keywords that talk about our program, we might want to build landing pages that are specific to the intent of that person to apply and the context that they're in in the search process versus 
an informational one that is talking about outcomes and the person is looking for information on what does this field and what does this program actually give you as part of the outcome. So one of them can be the intent of process and the other one can be the intent of outcomes. So that's the way I interpret this and it's nuanced. However, we might want to start thinking about that a little bit more. The unit of work goes from the keyword and the arbitrage that there's another keyword that gets me the same place and maybe I can pay more or less, whatever. Like that bidding word for the keyword now gets nuanced and my head immediately went to the phrase, the structure of the phrase and the context with the, the phrase approaches because now I have the ability to look at it in a totally different way. So very interesting and super applicable. Yes, exactly. So user experience is at the forefront. So Google SGE places a very hefty premium on user experience, right? So websites that offer valuable, accessible and user-friendly content, they'll likely see a boost in their search rankings. Now, remember that SGE is not making up this content. It is actually using your content and your pages to understand the content. Yeah, right. Exactly. So so it's going to use that as the base content and reference back to your websites. Your content should be valuable, accessible, user friendly content. And that's what's going to be prioritized in there. Yeah. Art is on experience. What I like everyone to start thinking about. It's that we discounted words or the structure of the word significantly because it was keyword driven. And the experience that we also write in a way is, gives me the link. If I click through it, I end up in a landing page and the glorification, the beautification of the landing page was significant, right? In a way, we sometimes hide away from lengthy paragraphs because that's not the, how people search. Today, what we're starting to see is that there is a growing appetite for, give me the statement as it is. We need meaty content. Exactly. Meaty content to basically send you to the right place. So does that mean that slowly and steadily, we users are going to be gravitating towards more meaty content as well as the answer in the website, rather than what they look today, which is basically a combination of real estate, short words, short paragraphs, and beautiful pictures. It'll be very interesting to see if there's an evolution and change. My head went there. Yes, Google is going to prioritize meaty content packed with information that are relevant because what we can do now with Generative AI is digest that very, very fast and very quickly and find answers in that content where if you have a page with very sparse information, there's not a lot of meaning there. There's not a lot of content that can answer questions very relevantly. So for Google, the meaty content pages are going to be much more relevant for a user visiting your website it's actually the opposite, right? Once that person lands on your website, then you need to provide them maybe a different experience. But if you want your content to show up in Google, which is essentially the way we think about it, it's like you first have to get your customer to your door and then you have to kind of convince them to go through and, and look inside. But if they're not even in your neighborhood, then, you know, <laughs> the battle is already lost there. So we're going to talk about one more thing here, one last one, and then we're going to wrap this up. And this is one that, that you can help me kind of contextualize. Social signals might gain more significance in influencing a website's authority and relevance. So integrating social media strategies into SEO becomes really, really important. Oh, artists, we need a whole episode on this. A brand <laughs> is built on social. As a matter of fact, for the past two and a half years that I've been doing this journey on marketing performance, we specialize on embedding contextual creative with a signal. So what does that mean in my world? 
Today, as we understand relevance, relevance is a function of the culture that I belong to. So right now, you know, if we started this episode with Taylor Swift, Kelsey Vibes, if you didn't talk about that two and a half months ago, right, your advertisement was falling flat because it was all about how does country music and pop culture meet NFL, literally, right? And tomorrow, the whole conversation died and now it's about something else. So cultural signals, it's such an interesting thing because relevance, do I see it? Yes, but do I care? It's all embedded on those type of things. And let me go even more nuance. My habits as JC, the dad, the parent, the teacher, the data executive change over the 24 hours. In the morning, you have to give it to me in a really compacted way because I am doing breakfast, getting my kids ready, I'm getting myself ready, I'm preparing for a podcast. But at night, be vocal, go for it. Meet me at where I'm at, which is I'm decompressing one that. So behavioral and time of day at signals, it's such an interesting opportunity. What's the problem? That before we just don't know how to do it, we didn't have enough content, enough ability to generate the content that touches on 24 hours and the nuance and the culture that I have. Now, it's basically non-trivial. Technology allows you to have that footprint, and unless the content has that, it will not happen. So as I said, I can keep on going, but that's really the exciting thing of it, right? It's possible. Yeah, so folks, what we've been talking about today is this third transformation in knowledge discovery. We have gone from our websites, which are our number one property that our students, our, our faculty, our prospective students, everybody goes to to get information. They have gone from being explored through information architecture by what your menu looks like to being explored by search. How does Google you know, think about your content and, and finding relevance and bringing back the intent of the user, so putting the user in the driver's seat, to now transforming yet again, where generative AI is becoming key to how the user is asking questions, how the interaction with this information is happening in longer natural conversations rather than keywords. And the way that the search engine tools like Google are adopting this is they're providing that same experience to the end user. And how do you build content and how do you think about search engine optimization and your websites in order for that traffic to come to your website? We talked about content being different, having intent, beefier, so on and so forth. We talked about how social, and this is what JC is saying, is social, it's a huge driver of that traffic to your websites as well. And it's going to be more and more important going forward because you're going to lose the ability to influence and to have your blue links at the top of Google given that Google is now trying to bring your content within their experience and not necessarily drive people to your website, unless you pay for it, of course. So to wrap this all up, next few months and next year, we're going to see what Google introduces, how this is going to be adopted. I had a lot of fun trying to explain and trying to go over this. JC, thoughts? Artists, this was fun, educational, and a revelation. So thank you. Thank you for walking me through this. All right, everybody. Until next time. Thank you so much. Generation AI is part of the Enrollify podcast network. If you like this podcast, chances are you're going to like other Enrollify shows too. 
Our podcast network is growing weekly, and we've got a wide range of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed leaders and professionals like you find their next big idea. They feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts, like Jamie Hunt, Seth O'Dell, Jenny Lee Fowler, Brian Gross, and many of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the next generation AI student engagement platform that's helping institutions all over the country create meaningful, personalized, and engaging connections with their prospects and students. Learn more at element451.com.